You guys can have a seat. Thanks, Isaac. <clears throat> hey, if you've ever uh, gone beyond a little meet and greet, uh, like you do here on Sunday mornings with somebody in our church, and you've maybe taken a second to ask a few questions of them, and you've actually listened to them, while you'll often find that people um, have a project that they're working on. You dig deep enough, you'll find that they're, they're really running at something. Like the other day, I uh, was in the parking lot at Chipotle on 72nd Street, and I ran into Alex, one of the guys in our church, and I asked a few questions, and I found out that he is uh, studying intently because he's going for a CPA. And he's saying, yeah, he's, he's got like 150 hours of study work to do before his first test in a month. I'm like, man, praise Jesus, I'm not doing that. But hey, that's your project. That's great. Um, you know, there's another guy in our church. Uh, if you follow him, a lot of you are friends with him on social media. His name is Ben. And uh, you'll quickly learn uh, that he has this passion to develop this, or this project, to develop this uh, gifting in stand-up comedy, right? And so he goes to these open mics, and, and he's honing his craft, and he's trying to learn, and he's learning from people, asking questions, getting feedback, and all of that. That's kind of his thing, stand-up comedy. Once again, praise Jesus, that's not my thing. That's, that's just not it. Now, if you'll talk to my wife for a couple minutes, uh, soon you will find out uh, that she thought it was a good idea uh, to buy a stock tank, a horse tank, off Facebook Marketplace and make a mineral water kiddie pool in our backyard. I don't know why you're cheering for that. It doesn't make any sense. But uh, she wants, she's, uh, she got this horse tank. It's sitting in our backyard. She's bought these things off Amazon. She's got these hoses. And she is determined to set this thing up. This is her project for the day. You talk to some of the college students in here, like your project is, like I just got to finish the semester, right? Like, like you, we all have these projects that we're running at, and I'm sure that some of you have a, a project of choice. It might be something with your diet or working out. Uh, you might be working on something in your house, or maybe your yard is your project of choice as spring comes. Um, and, and the reality is, is you can actually see from Genesis that we are people who were created to be fruitful and multiply, to build and create. And so in doing these things and chasing after these things, we're kind of being who we were created to be in some ways. But we have our own versions of these projects. They're our own things. Uh, now, most of you in the room, you wouldn't want to do stand-up comedy because that terrifies you, right? I would never want to go for my CPA because I don't have that gifting and it would be horrible studying that much. I just don't have the diligence to be able to do that. And I'm sure that none of us in here would ever dream about making a mineral water kiddie pool out of a stock tank, right? It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense for a lot of us. We're unique people. And we have these scattered projects. However, the Bible would say, and Ephesians would say, that there is actually one project that we've all been called to. That that if you are in Christ, there is a collective call for all hands on deck to be working on this one project, which is building and maturing and growing the church. And we're going to look at that here. That's what Isaac read. And you're going to see some themes pop out in this passage that we're talking about. One of the themes is going to be uh, very simply that everyone who is in Christ is gifted. Like everyone. Not just people who work for a church. Everyone is gifted. We're going to see also uh, that, that everyone is entrusted with the work to do ministry. Like we are all 
called to do ministry, not just people who get paid for it. Another thing that, that we're going to see pop out is that, that if you are living apart from uh, these gifts, apart from this community that's building this, if you're in isolation, you're in danger. You're actually in danger of being deceived. You're in danger of being in isolation like that. And we're going to look at all of these things together. And honestly, so I spent a lot of time this week thinking, uh, praying about really, really uh, this passage and really how to preach it or how to present it. And I kind of had a lot of frustration uh, because um, the thing that kept coming to my mind is like, man, a lot of, a lot of you, a lot of us have, have been in churches before and you've heard talks about community and you've heard talks about gifts before, right? And so I'm like, man, what, is, what does God have for us, for our church, from this passage in this season? And so we had um, a, a couple of city group leaders over for dinner the other night, and I said, hey, help me out. Like, why does our church need to hear this message right now? And as we talked, we kind of came to the conclusion, more they helped me come to the conclusion, is they said, you know what? I think this is so important uh, because most of the people in our church have never actually seen this lived out. They've never actually seen a church where everyone does ministry. They've never actually seen a church where people are using their gifts, living in close-knit community. And because of that, because they've maybe never seen it displayed, um, there is this sense of, uh, at times, a ho-hum attitude toward diving all into community. There's a hesitancy to say, hey, it's worth it for me to give everything, to dive all in and act like these people and live like these people are my family. Even though I know the Bible says it, it's, I just don't know if it's worth it to actually do this. Well, today we're going to talk about this and really why it's worth it. We're going to talk a little bit more about the application of it than, than strictly instruction. And the reason is, is because I believe that where we are as a church, um, that, that we're well-educated people. And a lot of us have heard, not maybe all these principles, but some of these principles before, and some of these theological truths before, but I think that we are in a place with, where we need to wrestle uh, with the, this question. <clears throat> it's very simply, am I willing to live out Jesus' vision for this shared project of building the church. Let me ask it one, one more time, because it's not up on the screens here. The, the question is this. Am I willing to live out Jesus' mission for this shared project of building the church? I want you to think about that as we go through this. Really simply outline it in three parts. We're going to talk, uh, first, that you're gifted. Second, that you're needed. And third, it's your choice. Grammar nerds in the room, can you appreciate the fact that I got the yours right? Can I get an amen from some of you? Thank you, yes. <clears throat> um, so let's first talk about the fact that, that you're gifted. We're going to look at Ephesians 4, 7, our first verse for today, and it says this. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, uh, Paul starts out this section by saying, if Jesus has come to you and called your name. If you have been saved by him, if you are one of those people who is a, a Jesus-following Christian, then you have been given grace. 
Now, when we hear this, we think a lot of times, uh, more often than not, this is talking about saving grace. Like, we have been saved by the grace of Jesus. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a grace to do ministry. This is, we talked about this a couple months ago when Paul was talking about his grace to be the apostle to the Gentiles. That's the grace that this is talking about. That if you've been saved, you have received grace, or in other words, you have received a gift or spiritual gifts that have come along with the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of you. In the very next verse, in verse 8, Paul summarizes Psalm 68, and he says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, in Psalm 68, uh, since I'm assuming most of you don't have it memorized, the context of that is that God is a victor, that there are, uh, God has a people, these people are oppressed, there's enemies that are oppressing these people, and God has a victory over these enemies, and he takes the spoils of the enemies, and he lavishes his people with them. Now, what Paul is doing is he's taking this victory and this spoiling and this gift giving and he's applying it to Jesus and he's saying when Jesus descended it talks kind of about this in verses 10 and 11 it says when Jesus descended in the incarnation he came to live on the earth he died on the cross and when he died and resurrected he had victory over our spiritual enemies of sin Satan and death and when he did that uh, he then resurrected he ascended and now he is sitting on the throne as the victor, like God is the victor in Psalm 68. And in that victory over sin, Satan, and death, he takes the spoil of his victory as Jesus sits on the throne and he hands out the spoils to us, namely these gifts to do ministry. That is the good news in this passage right here, that your gifts are a hand-picked treasure from the victor, Jesus himself, to participate in this kingdom project of building the church. He's unifying this people by diversely gifting them to work together. Now, last week, remember, Andrew talked all about unity, 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 one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's all of this unity. And the first verse of, or the first word of verse seven that we just read before, the, the phrase was, but. He's saying, everyone has this in common, this in common, we're the same in this. He says, but. What he's saying is that unity is not necessarily uniformity. That everyone is not the same. Every person in Christ has, that is uh, in here has been given gifts by Jesus himself to the measure of which Jesus has determined, which is what it says in verse 7. Now, can I just say for a split second, um, we, in, in, a, in a time, in a moment where we like to give ribbons to everyone who participates, um, this could be a little bit difficult for us at times. We like everyone to be equal. So it's like, wait, could Jesus actually give more gifts to people than some other people? Like, that's not fair. Could Jesus actually uh, give maybe a greater degree of a teaching gift or a a, a musical gift to somebody than someone else? Like, is Jesus going to really discriminate like that? And let me tell you, from verse 7, it says that Jesus gives the gifts how he wants, how he measures it. And it's okay with him. And I think we, I mean, deep down, we all know this, right? Like if you took 90% of us and you, you know, you gave him a guitar and a mic up here, it's going to be a pretty ugly sight, right? But if you get Gabe up here with a guitar and a mic, it's a beautiful thing, right? So um, the other night, let me, let me illustrate this a bit. The other night, um, 
uh, we had some friends coming over, and uh, we had the, the living room was a mess, and so we charged our two middle kids with cleaning up the toys in the living room. Um, and our two middle kids are Liv and Wells. Liv is going to turn four on Tuesday, and Wells is two. And li- they're very, very different from each other. Liv is very diligent and determined, and Wells is, uh, he's a loose cannon, let's just say that. Liv is four, Wells is two. They're different ages, different walks of life, different skill sets, whatever. We tell them. Why was that funny? I don't know. I, I, I must have not caught it. Anyway, um, so uh, we told them, hey, if you clean up all the toys, you get a sucker when you're done. Because you've got people coming over. And, um, and so we said go, and right away, Liv, she went to work like a machine. She's like, toy, toy box, toy, toy box, toy. And she's running all over the place. We're like, yeah, Liv, good job. We love it. Yeah, keep going. And we're just like cheering her on and on. She's going and going. And, and Wells is kind of pacing around, not really doing anything. And then af- after about five minutes, there's about three toys left on the ground. And Wells finally looks at us. He leans down and he picks up one toy and he puts it in the toy box. And he looks up and smiles and we're like, yes, Wells, you did it, buddy. Good job. And we were, uh, frankly, we were overjoyed at that point. Because for real, uh, it's a big deal for him to contribute even just a little bit or just to, to be a part of it just a little bit. In this situation, both of my kids got cheered on. They both got suckers at the end of the game. But what it looked like because of their maturity and because of their ability, uh, the obedience looked vastly different from one person to the next. And I would say that Jesus, uh, in much of the same way as a parent, cheers on his kids wherever they're at. Jesus loves seeing your version of living out obedience in whatever it looks like. So Jesus is okay with wherever you're at. Jesus is more than okay with how you are gifted. Like we're all in different stages. Some of you have just come to faith and you're trying to just figure this out. Others of you have been in the church forever and ever, and, and you've exercised gifts for, for decades. And, and some of us are just playing different roles. We've been gift, gifted differently, but Jesus looks on, not looking for flashiness from us. He's not looking to be impressed by us using our gifts, but rather, he just wants us to understand where we're at and how he's wired you and just simply say yes to the role that he's called you to do. Um, Warren Wearsby, who is a, a longtime pastor, uh, a radio Bible uh, teacher, uh, he wrote like over 150 books, and he's a, he was a professor in a couple different Bible colleges. Uh, he was 90 years old, and he just passed away this week. And he said um, that when uh, he was growing up, Warren said that his childhood was a little difficult because his dad was this burly mechanic, and his older brothers, the two older brothers, were mechanical, and they were both athletic. They grew up all their days um, on the athletic field. Meanwhile, he was this scrawny, measly dude who uh, grew up spending his time in the library. And so he was kind of a misfit. He was kind of an outcast. And growing up, he had an older man tell him, an older man in the ministry, he said, young man, find the one thing you do that God blesses and stick with it. 
And so Warren, feeling like an outcast, feeling like kind of an outsider in his own family, a kid who hung out at the library, uh, sought out what God wanted him to do. And uh, 70 years later, he has impacted thousands and thousands and thousands with his life that just um, ended. And he passed away earlier this week. Now, the reality is most of us aren't going to teach at a seminary. Most of us aren't going to write a book or dozens of books, right? However, if you find your gifts, if you use them faithfully, God will work. You could have a lasting impact. You could help influence the culture of your friend group, of your city group. You could influence the culture of this church. You could play a part in some of your neighbors coming to faith in Jesus. You could play a part in in a kid downstairs coming to know Jesus. You could leave a legacy for your own kids, your own children one day. Do you actually believe that God has gifted you purposefully? If your gifts were important enough for the victor, Jesus, to hand them out to you, handpick gifts to you as a measure of his grace, he believes that. He is okay with that. And I would say that it is a worthy thing for you to step into and use these gifts. Not only that, I would say that we as a church, we need you to do that. Which... takes us uh, to our second point for today, uh, which is simply this, that you're needed. You are needed. So Paul's about to say that there is a way for the community of God to work together. There's a way for the church to work together in a way that flourishes. And sadly, I would say that most churches that we observe in uh, America don't really actually function like this. So let's look, uh, verses 11 and 12. Let's read these two verses. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, there are two clear principles that are at play here in these verses. He's saying that there are leaders on the top half of this verse. There are leaders whose job is to equip all of the church for ministry. And then the second principle is that all of the people in the church are supposed to actually do the work of ministry. So, so it's not pastors who are supposed to do the ministry in church. It's not paid staff who are supposed to do all the ministry in church. It's the leaders of the church who are supposed to invest in the entirety of the church so that they can do the ministry. Now, uh, Paul lists, uh, some people say five, some people say four unique giftings in the top half of this verse um, to to describe who are the people who are called to actually uh, equip or to uh, invest in this way. And uh, these are, so just to be clear, these are not offices in the church, not like a a pastor or a bishop or a priest. Uh, These are Giftings. These are leadership giftings. And if you'll notice, as you look at them, and as I just quickly explain them, these are all word-centered, like speeching, excuse me, speaking, I can't speak speaking. Okay, speaking or teaching-centered gifts that are given to people uh, to equip people or invest in people in the ministry. Um, So let me explain real quick. Uh, Apostles are the first ones. Apostles are, the idea of that uh, apostle gifting is one who is God's messenger, 
One who is God's messenger to open up new territories, to blaze new trails. A lot of times apostles are the ones who are moving forward and planting new churches. The, the, the uh, prophet who is next. A prophet is one who hears from God, who receives revelation from God, and in a timely way, in a timely manner, speaks those words to the people of God. An evangelist is one who um, are leaders who are just consistently, maybe if, if prophets are uh, every once in a while talking about Jesus or, or sharing a timely word, evangelists are just consistently talking about the good news of the gospel of Jesus to anyone they come in contact with. And finally, shepherds and teachers um, together, are, are, they're the ones who care for the people. They're ones who guide and guard and care for the flock, much like an actual shepherd would care for the flock of sheep that he has. Now, here's the question that I have for ourselves. First, I want to ask the leaders in this church. So I'm talking to uh, myself. I'm talking to the church staff, our advisors, uh, people who have a ministry role of leadership over a ministry. If this is what Paul said, if this is what God has called us to are we, as leaders, okay with the role of equipping? Are we okay with the role of investing, selflessly investing in others for their gain and their promotion as opposed to uh, being all about our gain and our promotion? Are we good with spending the majority of our time uh, being all about raising other peoples up and at times stepping back from the stage as opposed to us being the people who who need to be out front, who need to get more likes, more fame, and more glory from what we're doing. And I can honestly say, as I've read and thought about this passage this week, man, that is not always my heart. But I know it's God's heart, and so I need God to do some work. Leaders, do we believe that it's best to give our leadership away? Because if we don't, we are never going to be the church that Ephesians 4 describes. We're never going to be the church that God has set up to truly be the church. Now, for all the saints in the room, the the next category for everyone, this is all of us. We all have gifts. Now the call is for you, you, all of us, to do the work of ministry. How does that feel to you? Is that overwhelming? Is that exciting to you? Some of you are scared by that? I don't know. I would sadly say that that most... uh, most people in American churches very rarely embrace this fully. And I think that we could use a little push toward urgency in this category when we think about us all doing the ministry and all having a role to play. How many of you have ever been to a track meet before? Everyone, okay, a lot of people. Really? Like 25%? You've probably watched it in the Olympics. Okay, I'll take that for an answer. Um, So when I was in high school growing up, I, uh, surprisingly, you might be surprised that I was on the track team uh, for a couple of years. And um, uh, so one of the, in my opinion, in most people's opinion, I think, one of the most enjoyable things to watch at a track meet are the relays, right? Like you see people go, they hand a baton off from one person to the next, and you see people jockeying for a position. They hand it off to someone else. Someone else takes the lead. Like, it's just fun to see. It's fun to see people mess up and drop the baton. It's just like, it's enjoyable to watch. Now, when I was a senior in high school... Uh, I was the second alternate on the 4 by 100 meter relay team, which meant I was just fast enough to not be considered slow as molasses. So um, there was one track meet where I got called to actually run the 4 by one Now, um, 
cheering for relays is really fun and really amazing and it's really awesome. But it's a whole different story to be running in a relay. I'm sure a couple of you have done it before. Um, So you line up, they give you instructions by the finish line, and then they send you off on your way, and you take this quiet, just fear-inducing walk over to your spot. Meanwhile, all your enemies who are walking next to you or trying to defeat you are walking with you. And it's just a crazy thing. And then you get to your spot. I was running third leg when I did it, and um, so I was running the the back corner. And... um, when this happened, I remember the gun going off, and I'm watching the first guy come around the corner, and I'm like, my, my man in blue and gold is coming around, and I'm like, oh, man, like, this is getting real. Like, I have to do this. They're coming down, and they handed it off to the guy on the back stretch, and he's coming right for me, and I'm like, he's, he's coming for me. Like, he's counting. Like, I got to be concentrated. I got to stay in my lane. I got to give this 110% effort. Like, he's going to hand the baton to me, and I have to give it 110% because they're counting on me. All these people who are in the crowd cheering, those people are counting on me too. Like, I've, I, I've got a job I wouldn't do, and, and I have to do my part. I think it wouldn't hurt to have a little of this kind of urgency in the church, that the baton has been passed to you, and people are actually counting on you. God has... Uh, given you a gift to run with, to build up him, to bring him glory. I think many of us see the church community uh, maybe more like a buffet. It's kind of like, okay, I'm going to go in, I'm going to grab a few things that I want. It's going to be good. When I'm done, when I'm filled up, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go about my business as I want. But I think we would maybe need to reframe it with some urgency. Maybe a little bit more like a relay, that the baton has come to you and you have a lane to run in and people are counting on you. God has entrusted you and what you do is of utmost importance. Do you believe that? In verse 12, it says that the building up of the church depends on us. The unity of the church depends on us. The spiritual maturity, the growing of the church, the maturing of the church depends on us doing this. You are needed. It matters that you sign up in kids' ministry and serve faithfully. It matters that you go to your city group on a Wednesday night. It matters that that you wake up early to your alarm on a Tuesday morning and go to a 7 a.m. huddle. It matters that you show up here on a Sunday morning and you worship your hearts out and you're available to connect and bless other people here. Just this last Sunday, we had a a city group leaders training. And uh, in our training, uh, we talked all about uh, essentially caring for our souls uh, through just being... uh, praying people or prayerful people. And um, afterwards, I had um, just multiple people text or email me and say, hey, thank you so much for clearing that time. I just needed some time to invest in my soul. I needed someone to invest something in my soul. So here's the reality. Your leaders who are in the congregation here, they need support. They need community. They need you. As I'm standing up here, I'm a, a dad of four little kids who's trying to do ministry. And the truth is, is I'm exhausted right now. And I could use some parenting wisdom at times. I could use some marriage wisdom at times. And sometimes, man, I could just use a a friend to just be normal and just hang out with, you know? You look around at, at 
other people in the church, there's a whole slew of new families with newborns or new babies. Their world has been turned upside down. They're tired. They're trying to figure out how to find sleep in their day. And they could use help. They could use babysitters. They could use some parenting wisdom from some of the couples who have been through this before. We got college students, like 50 audiences, they have segregation. Now, our college students are sharp. I ta- I've talked to a lot of them, but, but the reality is, is they have never stepped into the stage of life that a lot of us have been through before. And we have wisdom because we've walked through stages of life. We've, we've navigated the, the job field. We've navigated uh, diving deeper into some relationships. They need wisdom and they need help in this. We've got some people coming in here, and they might not say it, but there's people in here whose hearts are absolutely broken as they're sitting here this morning, and they just need a shoulder to cry on. They need a listening ear, or maybe they just even need a hug this morning. Community isn't a casual Christian add-on. It's a necessity. You are needed in order for Jesus to build and mature his church, for it to become the agent in the world that reflects him to the world like he has designed it. Now, no one's going to force you to do this, which is why point three is, very simply, your choice. There are two roads that we can take. We can pursue this project together, or we can uh, go our own way. We can do it in isolation. Uh, Paul would say the risk of doing it your own way, of going this direction, is a spiritual infancy or spiritual immaturity. So let's read uh, the next verse. It kind of picks up mid-sentence. Just after talking about the maturity, like that we can build up the church to be mature so that we can no longer, or we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now, this is one path, the path of uh, keeping community at a distance. And the, uh, the, the danger, it says, is spiritual immaturity or spiritual infancy. Now, in the ESV, um, it uses the word children. You'll be like children. In the NIV, which some of you have, it uses uh, the word infant, I believe, that you will stay a spiritual infant. Now, uh, I'm assuming that some of you have been around kids before, right? Or you've been around babies, right? Now, let me just create this scenario. Uh, so I have an eight-month-old baby. Her name is Emmy. She's cute. Um, now, if you take my eight-month-old and uh, say you put uh, three items in front of her. Say you put a banana, you put a Lego, and then you put poison. I don't know what poison looks like. I don't know where you can buy it from, but let's just say there's something that's poisoned in front of her. Okay, think about this. If little Emmy is hungry and you hand her a banana, which is her favorite food, what is she going to do? She's going to grab it with her hand, she's going to put it in her mouth, and she's going to try to eat it. If you take a Lego when she's hungry and you hand it to her, what's she going to do? She's going to take it by, with her hand, she's going to put it in her mouth, and she's going to try to eat it. If you take something that's poisoned and you give it to little Emmy when she's hungry, what's she going to do? She's going to take it with her hand, she's going to put it in her mouth, and she's going to try to eat it. The idea is the babies can't tell what's good for them and what's not. Infants, small children, can't tell what's good for them and what's not. The point Paul is trying to make is that our discernment function in isolation or in spiritual immaturity is not good. 
We need people teaching us. We need people around us to invest in us, using their gifts to love us and correct us and point us in the right direction. Now, most of us don't think that we're going to be deceived, right? It's because we believe that our opinions are right, right? There are opinions. Of course I'm not going to be deceived, right? Well, Paul says in this verse that we may no longer be children or infants. Yes, Paul, this is the super missionary, the apostle of the Gentiles, the one who had the face-to-face encounter with Jesus, the one who is highlighted in the book of Acts, who did all of this. He includes himself with an inclusive statement that says, we, as in I, don't want to remain a spiritual child anymore. Paul, if providence, or providence, excuse me, if Paul is maybe including himself in with a group that might be considered spiritual children, we might have to do a heart check and understand that we are in danger of remaining spiritual children as well. So the question is, is like, what are the things that maybe we are, would be susceptible to? What are the things that we would be susceptible to believing or falling into if we're living in isolation? So I have a short list here, and then I'm going to end with just one thing that's a little bit longer. So here's just a bullet point list of things that I think are pertinent in our culture. The first one is this, that we're tempted to believe karma, that if you're a good person, that you're going to be blessed, that God is going to uh, just, just bless your socks off in every way. Another one, uh, we believe, we become, we start believing that we can do whatever we want with our body because it's our body, right? Number three, um, we start developing a, less of a God-centered theology and more of a man-centered theology, as in, man, Jesus, he, Jesus, God would, Jesus is so loving that I see in the Bible, he could never send people to hell. There's no way that he would do that. There's no way that he would have some people do that and other people not. Like, that. that is not okay, and we, and we make it about man and not about God. There's no way that God would, would want to kill his son on the cross. That's just too cruel. Like, that couldn't happen. Another one. Uh, we developed this follow-your-heart theology. We believe what we want to believe, and when the Bible, the church, teaches something that is an ethic that we don't really agree with, it's like, uh, I want to, I, this feels a little bit better, so I'm just going to kind of settle into this. Yeah, yeah, this is what I believe now. Um. Alan Hirsch, an Australian missiologist, uh, once said, uh, be careful of believing what you want to believe. I'm not going to mess with your head a little bit, right? Be careful of believing what you want to believe. Uh, so after all of this, I think there's really one thing that really rises to the top uh, in, in the context of, of uh, this topic that we're talking about. And this is what we're, I think, maybe uh, susceptible to, to believe in the idea of community, and that is, we can do this on our own. Because if you haven't experienced deep community recently, you are prone to believe, I don't need one. I heard uh, Pastor Mark Sayers on a podcast say something to the effect of, I couldn't remember what episode it was, so I couldn't quote it exactly, but he said that, that, that the enemy would love to steer you out into a spiritual desert of sorts and then pick you off one by one. <clears throat> you are susceptible to attack in isolation. And, and, and on top of that, you don't get the chance in isolation to experience hundreds of opportunities to be loved 
to be served, to be helped, to be prayed for, to be blessed, to be encouraged by, to be forgiven by the people of God. And frankly, if you're in isolation, we don't get to experience that from you either. In this place of isolation, we are in danger of becoming or staying spiritual infants. That's one choice. Here's the other choice. This is the very last verses of this section. It says in verse 15, uh, go back just one, I think. It says, rather, this is the uh, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body... Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The call here is to speak the truth in love to one another. The word truth in this passage is actually a verb. You're supposed to be truthing one another in love. We are to live out everything that Jesus and the gospel stood for in word and deed toward one another. We are to lovingly truth one another with the gospel, with Jesus. And when each work, part is working properly, it says the body grows. It matures. It does what it's supposed to do. So providence, in order to, to truth people, in order to impact people in the way that, that we're talking about, that we actually have to be close enough to one another to do that. We actually have to, to live together and have real relationships. We actually have to eat meals together. We have to text each other throughout the week. We have to ask people questions when we see them and actually care about their answers. We need to live life Together, we need to be in real relationships because the reality is, right now, I think this verse would reflect this, is that there are people in the room right now who don't need to hear another sermon. There's people in the room right now who don't need to just read one more verse, but these people need to be spoken the truth in love from you. That God has given you a gift. He's given you relationships. He's given you trust built between you and other people in the room, and they need to hear desperately from you. God has designed you and positioned you to do that. So maybe it seems, with how Paul wraps up this section, that maybe the first step in us using our gifts and being the full working community, building the church, maybe it actually isn't taking a bunch of spiritual gifts tests to see exactly how we're gifted. Maybe we'll find that out with time. But maybe instead, uh, the call is very simply to start living like family. To start actually being friends with one another. To talk to one another. To ask questions to one another. To care for one another. To care what people are going through. To pray for one another. To actually walk through life together. Be a good friend who can point people to Jesus. Hey, Jesus is over there. Run at him. Hey, turn around and run to Jesus. Hey, Go chase after Jesus. Now, I think that's the essence of speaking the truth in love. Now, here at the church, the way that we, at Providence Church, the way that we do community is through city groups. And 
Um, and if, you're, uh, if you don't know any information about city groups, we have half sheets over on the welcome table. I'd love for you to check them out. And for some of you, you are plugged in. You're leading city groups. You're in uh, the, the mix of community every single week. And for you, could I uh, just press you in on, man, continue to live like family. Invest in people and love people well. Uh, there are some of you who are in here who are uh, connected to a city group, uh, but maybe you're kind of in and out at some times. And could I say to you, I mean, would you go all in? This is God's design for how the church matures to reflect his glory to the world. Could you dive all in and, and, and give yourself up for this joint project of building the church? And then, yeah, for another group of you, you're not connected uh, in a group at all, or maybe you're new to Jesus, you don't even believe in Jesus and you're here, uh, could I just encourage you? I think it would be an amazing thing. I think the way that you could see, uh, or the way that you could grow, the way that you could flourish, the way that you could contribute is to press into relationships by very simply just going to a city group this week. Go take a sheet, go talk to some people, and go get involved in a city group. This is how God has designed the church to function together as a family using their gifts to be built up to reflect his glory to the world around us. I think it is worth it to join this community project of building the church together. Let me pray. Uh, Jesus, we are thankful for this good news of the fact that you have uh, become the victor and then you have uh, given us gifts, that we are a people that have been privileged to walk with you, to walk with one another and experience a life that is more abundant, more full with you and with other people in it. God, I pray that you would give us the supernatural ability to discover our gifts, to use our gifts and to live selflessly and, and humbly in community together. Could Providence Church be a pace-setting church in our city to be able to see this as a church where the leaders equip and all of the saints do the ministry? Jesus, we want uh, you to be front and center, and we want our community and our gifts to reflect who you are. Um, God, would you get glory um, from this effort of living out this otherworldly type of community that you have called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.